Welcome. I'm Megan Smiley, and this is the Lawyer's Escape Pod. For those of you who've followed the rules, worked really hard to climb the ladder, but are looking around now and thinking, is this it? Is this my life? I hear you. You want more. You want freedom, fulfillment, purpose. But you don't really see how that's going to happen in the traditional work world. You're entrepreneurship curious, but it seems daunting and risky and sort of just unrealistic. In this podcast, I'm going to help you see just how possible it is to build a business and by extension, and really importantly, a life that you'll genuinely enjoy waking up to every morning. Hello, this week's guest is Leah Battercher. She's a former lawyer who has become an artist and a coach to world-class performers and leaders in the arts, business, and social good. If you have a creative dreamer's heart, this one is for you. We discuss Leah's journey to embracing the calling of her creative side. She tells us about balancing her pragmatism and the skepticism of people around her with her more irrational, quote unquote, life's work. Um, How following the breadcrumbs of her inspiration has led her to running a multi-dimensional business and living a life that she finds incredibly fulfilling. And before we jump into the interview, I just wanted to give you guys a reminder that the Inner Wisdom Workshop begins today. It will be today, May 31st, and runs Wednesday evenings for five weeks. We've got sessions on intuition and meditation, astrology, human design, hypnotherapy, and a psychic medium. Um, It's going to be a lot of fun, very interesting. Um, All of the sessions will be recorded and we're going to leave the registration open all month so you can join um, still uh, and you'll be able to catch up on any sessions that you missed or that you can't make. Um, Although, you know, insider tip, I would highly recommend trying to come live for the final session with our lawyer turned psychic medium, and she's going to be doing a live group reading. So that will be a lot of fun. So I'll drop the link for that in the notes, and we'll move on to the episode. Hi, Liam. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Megan. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really excited for this conversation. So I typically start by asking everyone what made them go to law school in the first place. I a combination of things. Um, I think like a lot of my peers, um, and I was young too, so I had ideas about idealistic notions about you know changing the world, mm-hmm. and and then also a mixture of factors. I think there were other things that I was really drawn to and strengths that I had. And my undergrad um, was in finance. Mm-hmm. and international business, Spanish, and I did not want to go to an investment bank. Yeah. And I also, you know, some of my strengths were I loved to read, I loved to write, I loved to learn. And so I had the advice, why don't you go to law school? Um, and it also fit in with, you know, things, interests I had earlier in like public policy Mm-hmm. and international diplomacy. I was big into things like Model UN in high school. Yeah. Um, and so I thought, okay, well, maybe that's the future. I can, I can see myself doing something there. I had, like, from a, a younger age, youngish age, you know, I thought I had a feeling that I would be doing something with um, the rights of women and girls and perhaps around um, <clears throat> excuse me, like economic freedom and empowerment and rights. Yeah. And so I thought, well, maybe this is an avenue um, by which to make those kinds of changes and do that kind of work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sounds familiar <laughs> uh. <laughs> and common. So what was your experience of law school once you got there? Mm, my first year was rough. Um, I thought, well, I'll just I 
have a good work ethic. I will just work all the time. I'll be the first one in the library and the last one to leave. Mm-hmm. And that um, work ethic had ar- always paid off in the past. And But this was like the first time I encountered something where there was no way you were going to get to the end. Like there's always more you can read. Yep. There's always more you can study. And um, I thought I was doing all the right things. You know, they said, this should be just your job, your focus, don't have an outside job. This should really just be it when you're immersed in it. And that just didn't end up being healthy for me at all. It didn't, my work was not reflected in my grades. I think mostly because I was really stressed and then therefore didn't perform well on that one exam you get. Right, right. (laughs) And it, like by the end of the first year, I was in the ER with like, you know, stomach bleed. Oh my and, gosh. and I was just like, and I was not happy, obviously. Yeah. And so I thought, well, I need to make some changes here. Part of me wanted to quit. Part of me does not quit. Right. And thought maybe there, there's some adjustments that can be made. And so I made some major adjustments going into my second year, um, I thought if I'm going to do anything long-term, I I don't want to be so miserable doing it and I take a more balanced approach. So I kind of threw myself into, I loved triathlons. I got really competitive doing triathlons and that training and the friend group I had from that, I got a part-time job, um, as like working for a caterer, which I realize now was a creative outlet and also just with wonderful people um, who are very grounded. And I volunteered um, for the elder services of the county that I lived in at the time. So basically I I adopted a grandma, but I think really like she adopted me. (laughs) So all of those things like really cut back on the amount of time I had for law school, but really broadened and expanded my perspective and brought me back around to really one of my initial motivations for going to law school, which is to be to the extent that I can a force for good in other people's lives. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's quite a recovery because (laughs) I think it is, I mean, law school's stressful, I think across the board, but there's also, it seemed like there was some intuitive wisdom of like just being immersed in that mentality too, with everyone like do more, do more, do more. (laughs) Yeah. Isn't actually the way to get where you want to go. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. And even, you know, it ended up being strategic to pull back without me intending that at all. It was just like a accidental strategy Yeah. because I had such, um, such time constraints then like, so like fewer hours to study. Yeah. And so I realized I got so much better at it and I realized, Oh, there, there is a strategy for yeah. studying in law school. And when that time constraint forced my hand, because I remember one time I had catered a large event and it would, I didn't get home until like two 30 in the morning. And I I still had like 400 pages to read. And I'm like, well, I can't do that and sleep. So I'm going to sleep and I'll just get up early. Um, Well, I slept past my alarm. So I got to class like 30 minutes before class. And I just buzzed through the pages like oh my god oh my god oh my god yeah yeah <laughs> like, I felt like I, I was I was about due to be called I know it, isn't that always the way you're like please don't yes. let it be today please don't let it be today <laughs> I was so sure it was going to be that day too and in fact it was oh, it's, um, yeah. but I was like in my like 30 minute cram session with such focused urgency I'm like oh my brain did find the key points right right yeah. So I was like, oh, really? That's how this is done. <laughs> or yeah. can be done. It can be done different ways. Right, right. So 
how did you evolve? Like when you graduated, did, were you kind of finding your place in what you wanted to do? How did you, what sort of, what was your route out of law school? Um, I had, well, I guess like I could see a few different routes. Um, I'd had a really awesome experience my second year, like my second semester of second year, I um, did a clerkship for a federal judge in um, the Southern District of Iowa Mm -hmm. and um, was, is Judge Pratt. And I loved that experience. His law clerks were amazing. He was an amazing mentor. I loved um, the collective meetings, they gave me meaningful work to do. I got to write an opinion. Um, and it was intellectually just so fulfilling and, um, and working with people who, you know, were there for what, you know, felt to me like the right reasons and really right, cared. Right. And, um, I, yeah, I really loved it and I loved it so much. And I had such great feedback from having the, both the clerk, well, there were, there were three clerks. So the clerks as the mentors and also judge Pratt as mentors. And they were, they were wonderful. And so I, that actually, that awesome experience really helped me discern that there is a different road for me. Mm -hmm. Um, Because before I was like, well, maybe I just don't like this because I'm not having a great time. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I'm not like, I'm not awesome at it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm like, so I'm like, maybe this is my ego and maybe I need to like check that. And, um, and then, then here was this experience where I was having fun. I was learning so much. Um, I, I, I found something that I was like good at that my particular, like my brain and my skill set like came together well for. And I thought, oh, okay, that was like such a gift to have the experience in itself and such yeah. a gift to have that um, because that really influenced my discernment. And I thought I, I could love this. And I also feel like there's something else. Mm-hmm. So where did you go from there? Um, so after I graduated, uh, I, I got married right before law school, like the week before law school, my husband was still finishing his graduate program when I finished Mm -hmm. law school. So um, I knew we were still going to be in Iowa City for another couple years, at least. And so I looked for jobs in that area and um, ended up working for the university um, and in-house Council position hmm. doing intellectual property management. Hmm. How was that? That was fun, actually. Yeah. I liked it. I really liked it. Yeah, it was like part of my job was reading science journals yeah. <laughs> to get up to speed with the, um, you know, with the the researchers, with the scientists that were in the portfolio that I was a part of, and that like for somebody who is a geek and like, likes science yeah. and likes, likes law and likes to learn and likes to be around people who are, you know, really pushing the edge of things. Yeah. Um, and I, and I had great coworkers again. So I, yeah, I, I did really enjoy that. Yeah. Um, and it also contributed to my discernment because I think, well, now I think I know that I realized one of the things I really liked about it was being around others, like the researchers, the mm-hmm. scientists who were very creative. Mm. Um, so maybe their creativity was in, you know, researching cancer drug um, or, or other innovations. Yeah. And I liked being, I liked the proximity to that. Yeah. Um, I liked being around those people and and I knew what a shadow career was. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, this could be this. I could see how this could happen where I could stay in this um, for longer than I really want to. And when instead what I, what I really love about it is the creativity. And I really want to be pursuing my own creativity. Yeah. Did you have a sort of as a kid, were you, did you consider yourself creative at this point? Were you 
was that something that you sort of had been consciously in your awareness for a while or were, was it these experiences you mentioned with the um, the catering and this that you had some awareness that at least in retrospect that creativity was appealing to you I had some awareness I don't I don't think it ever felt like something I could fully own as an identity but I think that's perhaps like when something is so in your nature mm-hmm yeah. It's like sometimes we see things that are an identity is almost like separate. We put it on like clothes but when something is in your nature. Sometimes it's harder to see, right. but I did, I did see it in some ways and that I, um, um, I had a grandmother who became an art teacher in her sort of second half of life. And she hadn't been an artist before, but she'd been a, a writer and a farm wife and, um, and then when my grandfather passed away, she became an art teacher and she really, she always loved to write. She wrote for a column for the paper. And so she was always uh, encouraging of my like creative inclinations, whether yeah. it was like writing stories or we'd draw together or we'd drive down country roads and she'd stop the car and we'd get out and look at the colors oh. in a sunset or pick out, you know, I flowers other people call them weeds from the ditch and talk about like the texture and and so it was just like a a lot of it I think was like embedded into the fact that I grew up on a farm Mm -hmm. and in the country and with a lot of wide open space and time and um yeah and not a lot of not over scheduled not so many neighbors um because I think part of it well not I think I know creativity and spirituality are very much the same Mm. thing to me and very intertwined and that permeated that kind of energy I realize now was that was just the the air I breathed as a child and so I that um, spaciousness actually that space was was very formative and it was a place in which I played in my imagination a lot yeah and so it might not have looked like what I thought um creativity would look like but looking back yeah I think I've played in my imagination a lot and I always was uh like writing plays and getting my friends to act in musicals at recess and things like that yeah yeah it's so interesting because if I had a nickel for every lawyer that said they didn't have a creative bone in their body, I would be rich. But then you turn around mm-hmm. and actually that's not true. Right. <laughs> it's more a sense of we've, we either don't appreciate that because it's so part of our nature or we have put it to the side because we think it's something different. Like that's a different identity than being a lawyer. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I hear you on that. If I had a nickel for every time I heard someone say, I'm not creative, lawyers, doctors, I get a lot of lawyers and doctors in my, like in the coaching work that I do. And so often they start with, I'm not really creative. And like, I didn't even like, I didn't even pass coloring in kindergarten. Right, right. And it's like the Shakespeare line of me just think thou just protesteth too much. (laughs) Because I'm like, oh, then it's interesting that you're seeking out a creativity coach who runs a program called the art school. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Yes. Yes. And it's something in them knows, though. Even though the part that's speaking wants to deny it, something in them knows. Yeah. And go ahead. Yeah. No, no, no. Finish your thought. No, it, it, no. And I find, I think it's a, it's part of our nature and it has, it has a will and an energy. And if you listen to it, even just a little bit and open up the door, even just a little bit, it like, it will change you and, and, in a like beautiful, surprising ways. Yeah. And I think that's, it is to, is to listen to it because, you know, there are lawyers and I, you know, know some of them who probably don't consider themselves creative. Although, you know, of course, like people say, oh, you can make creative arguments. You know, that's one version of creativity. It wasn't the one that lit me up. (laughs) 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 But okay. But I think 
people know if they're being sort of drawn to something else and to listen to it. And, you know, I, I left practice and was working at a law school. I mean, it was different, but there was, I had that same experience and I just like wanted to create something, Mm. you know, I'm not a visual artist, but I, you know, took a mm. photography class and I started mm. a travel blog and there was just something that mm. was like I, there was just something that wanted to be created and I think people have that but don't know quite what to do with that energy yes yes 100 percent um and I love what you said there about not sure what to do with that energy yeah because it is an energy and it will seek like an expression yeah um, and it, and it's, it's a kinetic energy too. like energy is, you know, like potent stored up potential. Right. Yeah. And it will seek expression. So it will seek movement in mm-hmm. some way. And I know like for me, something else that was pivotal and helped me, it helped both with the discernment and helped me with the knowing that I'm an artist and that I had this creative energy was the intense triathlon training and then I was Pilates and yoga because the more I was in my body, the the more I was in touch with this feeling that something wants to move through me. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm curious when you started to think like that, you know, that's a very different way of thinking than the standard lawyer Oh, logical (laughs) process. So were you kind of like, whoa, what is this? And like, what was your reaction Uh, to even express? Did you express that to people? And what was? Oh, (laughs) um, I like, I, it, it felt so real to me and it felt so like deep and profound and true. Mm -hmm. Um, And I like found myself, you know, I was like in, my little cubby in the library once again yeah. you know writing something that required three-fourths a page of footnotes yeah and I thought here I am like going down in this training where you you can't have a thought without citing precedent right and and yet what I'm feeling come up through me feels more real and more true and isn't it interesting? There's no precedent to cite. And therefore it mm. felt like a dangerous place to have that kind of conversation. Right. Right. Um, of course. And, you know, and, and also like there is definitely a spiritual nature to it. And so that made it another reason it felt like it not the right place, not appropriate, not safe yeah. place yeah. to have that conversation um, for you know, for fear of being like ridiculed and, and thought of as like being just a simpleton and an idiot. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, um, even now I still feel like that a little bit because it's, you know, and there's something about us that took us into the law in the first place, meaning, you know, we have a foot in the grounded world, mm-hmm. but then you also have this foot in something more conceptual more energetic more spiritual whatever sort of your thought of you know however you conceive of that um and yeah there's not a lot of space for one in the other yeah yeah no I didn't it wasn't the space and um and I also you know despite like the positive changes I made after the first year and the great experience with Judge Pratt um I also I like I just felt like my light was going out and that's that was yeah. like a conversation I tried to have not using those words right. with anybody in the dean's office or um you know or the people that when I said you know I, I could I think I could use someone to talk to you know and I tried talking to professors yeah and I and I was trust me I was not using the language that I'm using with you right I right yeah definitely <laughs> knew better than that and, um, you know, I, but I did just use language, language of I'm, I'm struggling here and I'm, I'm doing all the things I'm supposed to, you know, exercise, and yeah. <laughs> all the things they tell you to do. 
And um, at one point, somebody, you know, who like to not, you know, not to um, disparage anybody. So I will just leave out identifiers, but someone who is in charge of student welfare at the school. Mm -hmm. I went to her and I think she thought it was a heart to heart, but their advice was that, you know, when I was in law school, I'd get home from the library and I'd put my bag down and I'd turn on a rerun of MASH, pop some popcorn and crack a beer. And that really helped. <laughs> and I was like, seems like oh, it would solve all of life's problems. <laughs> right? <laughs> and I just think like I was like, my jaw was hanging open and I just like pushed it shut. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. I was like, here I am. Like, this is like really like I was asking for help, which was hard to do. Right. And that's, that's the life wisdom you've right. got for me is, and it's basically like carry on. Um, and I, and so I thought, oh, and that, the, that was another epiphany though. Cause I was like, oh my gosh, how naive was I to think that higher education meant enlightenment ah, <laughs> like, yes as, as someone who worked at a law school for nine years <laughs> I <see yes>. you. <laughs> yeah I think that was like my naive like really naive perception of the more educated you were like you know a JD a PhD yeah scholarliness does not mean wisdom yeah yeah and I realized oh I am hungry for wisdom yeah yeah I mean, that definitely resonates with me. And I just, and I know that, you know, there are some people who'd be like, what are you two talking about? And then there are some people who are like, (laughs) yes, there is that. uh, I just think there's, for some of us, there is just another layer of something going on that is, and it it doesn't leave you alone. (laughs) Like I would love to have just posted up at law school and it was a good job and it was reliable or whatever. That would have been easy, but I couldn't. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So I'm curious how that then sat with you and evolved into your your next step. Um, Well, I think you nailed it with, there's just something that won't leave you alone. Yeah. And I realized that, uh, like, this isn't going to leave me alone. There are ways you can stuff it down. Mm -hmm. Um, and I sure felt like I kind of had to even for three years, you know, cause I think in undergrad, there was enough free time that I was like doing everything. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And in law school and like the judge told me he had this crocheted thing that said the law is a jealous mistress hanging Mm. in the hallway. Yeah. Yeah. And for all the people that said, you know what, get a great job as a lawyer and you can do art and write books on the weekend. And from my experiences in law school and working, I'm like, no, I don't, that's not going to be enough. Yeah. This thing that's inside of me is more than a jealous mistress. It's just, it wants it just is not going to leave me alone. And so I thought I can look forward and see to like project to my 40th birthday. Mm-hmm. And if I don't pursue this, I know I will regret it. Yeah. yeah. Whereas I can see myself being successful in a firm or something with good people. And I think I, I, I will have regretted not pursuing this. Whereas if I go forth and, and pursue like create the creative path, mm-hmm. I don't think I'm going to look back and be like, Oh, dang. Right. I should have right. stayed with it a little bit longer. Right. Right. So how did that sort of materialize for you? What did that mean? Um, so it means because I am also a pragmatic person yeah. and I like, and I am not, um, like you had a great question on the the questions that you yeah. sent me beforehand about like risk aversion. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I, I am not like a 100% carefree, la da da, it doesn't work out person. I'm pretty pragmatic. And, and to me, that's like kind of my spiritual practice too. Mm-hmm. And that's my creative practice. I like things that are, are meaningful and work. I um and so I felt like that I 
wanted to do this and I was going to make it work. Yeah. And um, so my original plan was, well, I'm going to replace my lawyer income in five years. And that didn't happen. <laughs> and with, uh, with even, what did you think at that point? Um, with art and writing. Okay. And, um, and I also, uh, to answer another one of you, like your, your yeah. questions, your pre-questions, I also had a side hustle of that I'd had like all through college and grad school of, I was doing some sort of personal training or teaching Pilates or teaching yoga. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I could do that before, like at Darko 30 and I could do that at night. Right. Right. Um, so I was doing that too. And it was like the first day after law school, I, I took all the things I inherited from my grandma in terms of art supplies and made a makeshift art studio mm. in our like grad school condo basement slash garage. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm just going to figure this out. And I taped up a piece of big paper to the wall and I the first thing I did was like a watercolor copy of something I think I tore out of a Ballard designs mm-hmm. <laughs> catalog yeah and poppies are really significant to me and my grandma too so it felt important and I finished and I felt both like something felt so right and I also felt super defeated mm. <laughs> um it felt so right. And I also was like, Oh, God, I have a long ways to go. Yeah. Uh, is it, there's a quote from um, what's his name from this American life, he said, the artist is part of the, the journey is, mm. you have really good taste, but you don't have the skills to meet your own taste. yet. And so when you start Ira. producing things, yeah, Ira Glass, that that yes. you, you, you judge so harshly where you start, because you know, it's not where you want to end, but it's an inherent exactly. part of the process. Yeah, exactly. I mean, cause you've got eyeballs like everybody else yeah. and, and a lifetime of looking at things yeah. and having an intuitive understanding of what you like and what you don't, even if you can't articulate why yet. Yeah. And so like for the first two months, so I'm like, I'm just going to truck on, I'm going to truck on. And then I was just feeling so miserable that I was like, hold up here. This is, I've, I've got to shift something. Otherwise, I'm going to make myself as miserable doing this thing right. that I love. Um, and so I just made a big decision of a commitment or had like a recommitment ceremony. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, this is like, I'm like, there's, there's two sacred intentions, like two sacred twin intentions going on here the art that's calling me the vision of creativity mm-hmm. that is real and and like that that though has to be an artifact of this experience that is also important yeah and the experience has to be one where i learn to be kinder mm. to myself yeah and it is going to be one where i liberate my creativity and my soul and i build soul in the process and so this has to also, and first and foremost, be about my evolution as a person, my spiritual path. Yeah, yeah. And how do you balance that with that practical side of you? Because I see this a lot is like, if you have that inclination, but people turn away from it, because they're like, I don't, that must be nice. But the rest of us live in the real world and we have to like pay our bills. Like how did you balance those for yourself? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I definitely, I can definitely relate to that because I, you know, not only do I have eyeballs, but so did everybody else in my life. Yeah. And they're like, Oh yeah. So you're gonna, here you were like the valedictorian and all this great education. And now you're going to be an you think you're going to be an artist like are you off your rocker have you seen what you're doing yeah yeah (laughs) and um and I was as I mentioned I was married and my husband is super pragmatic and he was getting his PhD in finance and accounting yeah (laughs) and grew up on a farm just like I did yeah and he was like what I thought you were 
going to be a lawyer. <laughs> this is not what I thought I was signing up for. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so it was like, I was up against like every day, not to mention my own doubts. So I made money, um, all the ways, you know, I was, I was working yeah. at, at my job still. Yeah. I was working at the extra jobs. I was saving money and I was also like planning yeah, yeah. <laughs> and plotting and um, dreaming and, and working away at, at this dream too, yeah. like including the, it is really true. You have to, if you love something enough, you've got to love it enough to be willing to be bad at it for a yeah. while. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, I think, we're, uh, yeah, you're right. Because as lawyers, it's kind of, we end up there because we're smart and capable and we keep, we're on this path. We're kind of, we're never actually bad at it, right. <laughs> right? Like you're always sort of on track. I mean, not entirely, but it kind of feels like that. And so to yeah. throw yourself into something where there's a learning curve um, is uncomfortable. Yes. A learning curve and not um, definitely not immediate gratification. Right. And, you know, the external evidence mm-hmm. is not there. Right. So it really was a time of, oh, okay, it's it's one thing to be like, yeah, believe in yourself, believe in your dreams. Like they're there for a reason. They're not random. Um, and it's another thing to really, like really live from the inside out and create something from the inside out because a lot of life we're rewarded for the sort of outside in right. approach. Yeah, totally. So much so that I think a lot of us lose a sense of really who we are at the core, right? We we yeah. we 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 see ourselves as the hats that we wear on the outside, and you know, I, I work with a lot of people trying to figure out this. They're like, I'd follow my passion if I knew what it was, mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of a thing. I think we feel very detached from it sometimes. Yeah, 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 because it it does like once you reconnect with it or you let it get a hold of you Mm -hmm. um it does it can be inconvenient yes yes exactly (laughs) for certain (laughs) things it can be inconvenient for certain things but you know it's it it's time it's time for a good sort of soul searching yeah to be like what what things is it inconvenient for right and and like you said it's it's inconvenient and it's it's a process it's like you don't have that you know, immediate gratification. And I always, I don't have kids, but I kind of liken it to having kids in the sense of you're like, well, that doesn't make sense. (laughs) They cost (laughs) a lot of money. They're a drain on your energy. Like, you know, where does this go? Like, but nobody asks, like, why do you feel like it's your calling to have kids? But people will ask you, why is it your calling to be creative? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing how many people ask. Yeah, <laughs> and then, yeah. <laughs> and then you're young, especially too, and you're used to people not asking. Like, or actually, you know, you get used to people like, yay for you, going to law school, yay for you, achieving. Yeah. And then and then all of a sudden, and then they leave you alone, right? Yeah. They, you, yeah. they leave you alone. You start making decisions for yourself, and you get a lot of people who interfere, which was so surprising to yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like you think you know what's best for me like that was really surprising and like some good adult initiation process for me yeah very difficult for my people pleasing overachieving self yes um but an important part of it I'd call it like an individuation yeah self-actualization process yeah oh that's that's a really interesting way of putting it I you know I I see that so much of people, you know, strong, you know, smart people feeling very limited by what other people will think about taking an alternative path. And I totally yes. I get it. I get it. It's just, but it's a really strong power. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. how did it all, you know, you kept with it, you gave it its time. I take it. (laughs) I gave it a lot. Like I just get, but it gave me a lot too. And, and I realized that, you know, there, there's, you know, I, as I was saying there, there was an instant gratification, but I meant that just in terms of 
for what other people could see or money, you know, those externals, because there was immediate gratification Mm -hmm. in terms of, um, like Rumi said, when you're doing something you love, you feel a river moving within you, a joy. Yeah, yeah. And I just felt myself coming back to life. Yeah. I felt light, like I just felt excited about life again. I, I, once I allowed myself that I started to sense again, more and more possibilities everywhere, like so many possibilities. And even if I just kept that to myself for a while, because I realized (laughs) and like, Sometimes you you just let yourself know there's possibilities because sometimes if you're sharing them and you're in this sort of vulnerable state where you're making a transition and you're surrounded by a lot of people who don't get it, yeah, and then you share about your possibilities, and it's not always the wisest choice. No, um, you have to kind of protect it while it's in yeah. that vulnerable stage. Yes, yes, yeah, for sure. It's you you learn to be the the great mother and the great father of this thing that's growing within you. And that was really instructive too, though, for the work that I ended up doing later as well as a coach was mm-hmm. um, I, I just realized how little space and place we have in our modern society for um, these these developments of gifts and and creativity and ideas and I would even say genius in a in adults like we really have this bad idea that things should come out fully formed mm, yeah and we don't have we have terrible process a dearth of processes for incubation mm-hmm. and nurture and radical nurture and I think um we are really, we really have a long ways to go in terms of understanding like adult education and development. Because if you think about it, there's child development psychology that, you know, those split hairs down to six weeks, six days. And then what we think adults typically mainstream that just get them to graduate college and get a job and then they're done. Right. Um, but what I found is like people know they, they're always like continuing to birth new aspects of themselves. Yeah. But if there's a society who thinks an adult should birth a fully formed adult sort of idea. Right. Right. We're, we're missing out on um, so much of like flowering of human potential, not to mention the, the terrible effect that has on human well-being including yeah. physical, mental, emotional well-being, when they're not allowed to continue to create and grow and develop. Um, yeah. So I am not even sure how I got started talking on this. Yeah, but. <laughs> no, but I love it. And like part of it is that I think, I think when someone is, you know, especially when you come from this very logical world of like corporate America, especially law, you know, you think about this and, and I think as a society, we serially undervalue you know your personal development your creative development and all of the sort of ideas that might come from giving yourself space for that ideas are whatever it may be because we are sort of blinded by this like productivity growth you know sort of corporate side of that and we don't tend to the other side that you're talking about um you really have to be like an outside of the box thinker to give yourself any time or space for that. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, absolutely. And, you know, to your point about how, like with children, we don't like question people having a calling to have children. Um, There's something that Dr. Clarissa Pinkola Estes says that I use a lot. My it, It was profound and important for me and I use it a lot in my work and that's about, serving the non-rational and nurturing the numinous. And because I, you know, I have like highly developed rational critical thinking skill set, and I'm not about to kick it to the curb, but now, but I feel like it's something now that I can use at my disposal and that there's, I've created a life and also 
this thing has created a life for me. The numinous has created a life for me that I would not have otherwise by me being courageous enough and some would say foolish and reckless enough. And I would embrace that (laughs) to serve, to serve the irrational, like the irrational has served my life immensely and enriched my life immensely. And so, um, I, I work with so many people who have these well-developed, um, rational, critical thinking skill sets and lives that they've built upon that. And I would never say to them, drop it. You know, I'm not about to, I'm not about to disparage that. That's part of the human gift and experience, but it's like Einstein says, it's the servant. It's not the gift. Um, and it's not the master, sorry, but it's like the servant. And so it's, it's letting people, like you said, they want to be outside the box. And so letting them expand their, well, they already have a knowing that they are more expansive than the boxes they feel put in. Right. And that's just it. It's like letting them follow their knowing yeah. out of, out of the box. And then I think something that's really powerful is having more conversations like this yeah. and having more communities um, and communal learning experiences because it's a so it's so scary and so hard to follow your knowing out of the box when you're all on your lonesome. Yeah. Um, and something there's an amplifier effect and an accelerating effect, a catalyst that happens when you are with at least one other person, and hopefully more than that, who are also doing these things. Yeah. Yeah. You're emboldened. You're reassured. You something about our mirror neurons is, oh, I'm, I'm letting them see me move out of the box. Yeah. And they, they don't think I'm crazy. In fact, they're celebrating me. In fact, they're inspired by me. In fact, they're emboldened by me just the same way I'm emboldened and inspired by them. I know. I always think seek out, seek out community of people who are moving in the direction. You have plenty of voices reminding you of all the practicalities of the world that you're not at risk of losing that grounding um but it's astonishing how many people the world is just very close so you go to a law firm every day and 99 percent of the people you spend your time with think a certain way and then to find out oh there are groups of people that think differently it's so liberating (laughs) It is. It is. It is so liberating. And then it liberates those brilliant people within a law firm who who realize, oh, I can use my brilliance and my skill set in out of the box ways. Yeah. And and do so in a way that like creates a life that like supports me. Yeah. Um, I, I don't have to stay in this box on the treadmill. Right. Right. The hamster wheel. Yes. So tell me a little bit about, you know, you've mentioned that that you're a master coach, and I'm just curious to hear sort of specifically how you support people now. I know it's in a few different ways. Yeah, so I, um, well, I, I started one-on-one, but what I do now is in, in 2018, I started the art school, I held my first group program called the art school, and it essentially is everything that I wished I had had way back when I was starting. Yeah. Um, and it actually came from like sort of a dark night of the soul moment when I was trying to make things work and trying to make things work. And, and again, my like, like very wonderful and very pragmatic husband was like, um, why don't you just get an MFA or get a PhD and then you can teach. Um, and I was like, I don't want to go back to grad school. <laughs> like, oh my God. Grad school, check, 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 all of the yeah. familiar <laughs> And jump all the boxes. Yeah. And I'm like, I want to, I'm like, I want to create. Here's, he's, I like, I know what I want to do. I want to be able to create what I feel I am capable of creating, what I know from this feeling I'm capable of creating and I want to be able to make a great living doing it. Yeah. And 
I want to have it be a life affirming and soul evolving process. And he kind of looked at me like, that's exactly what my husband was like. What is that stuff you're doing? Never mind. <laughs> yeah. He's like, uh, have you looked for programs? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, I think like the closest thing I could find at the time was maybe something, and I wouldn't have been opposed to this. Yeah. Um, in like like Naropa or something like that. Uh, you know, or I'd have to cobble together my own PhD program and right. Right. And, and I'm like, also like that, that's, that doesn't, no. yeah, but for what, it, it, like, who need, like, why do you need right. that stamp to do what you already and, know you want to do? And, and that's just, I had like yeah. burned enough through all of that, that yeah. I was so done yeah. with the stamps. Yeah. Um, and so, but it did sort of fire me up enough <laughs> that I couldn't sleep that night. And so I got up and I wrote like what would be my dream curriculum mm-hmm. and who would be my dream mentors and faculty, like, and what I wanted to be able to do and who I wanted to be able to be yeah, um, because of it. And like that then really shaped my one-on-one coaching, but then looking back, like that was actually my first draft of the art school. Yeah. And so the art school, like there, there are a couple different formats. The classic art school, it's open for anybody, including those people who say they're not creative, but for some reason they want to join the art school anyway. Right, right. <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> they want to work with me anyway. Yeah. And to to learn these meta life skills of creating anything. Yeah. And my, I, I, I combine everything that I have done that because I was always looking for something holistic. Mm-hmm. So um, the, you know, there is, there is thought work, there is mindset work, but there's also somatic work and the mm-hmm. wisdom of the body. Um, I'm big into I, somatic work. I think especially I, for those of us that are very intellectual and stuck in our heads, it can be a real backdoor to processing things. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Like I, um, it's, I, I have, I've just seen people and they, they, they're stuck in other ways and they begin to work with the body, things shift and it, yeah. that really that bottom up. Yeah. Um, and also that like, for me, my approach to art and including writing is, is very somatic. Um, I feel like the body, the body dreams, like the body speaks in metaphor, speaks in energy. Um, it's very fluent in in these artistic poetic languages. And it's very connected to something ancient and primal. So it gives people, they might think that they don't have anything creative going on. Oh my God, their body is a wealth. Uh, Like the psyche and the body are so intertwined that I love having people discover that they don't know a fraction of the beauty, the meaning, the wisdom, the color, the stories that they hold. Yeah. Uh, And so having people discover that is is incredible. So there's a somatic part. Um, I, poetry, like really, like the poetry that I find to be, you know, poets that are sages, poets that are mystics, speaking in that language. Um, I, I needed that. There was, I've, I've loved all my coach training and, and I love, I consume anything and everything, neuroscience and positive psychology and CBT and all of that. And I then come back, take all that in and drop it into my well and let it come back out through the language of, of poetry, of, of art. And because I find that that information is awesome and people are also hungry and a part of them needs to be met with speaking this other language, mm. like the language of the body, yeah. the language of the soul, um, the language of beauty and, and wisdom and meaning and spirit. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, 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 uh, you know, that alone opens things. Um, yeah. And so 
So, and, and all of these too, with like you then handing people everyday tools and practices, because one of um, the designs of how I work is that this is not just like how we're taught education works, which is you sit, you take something in, you learn it, and then you go forth. This is like approaching it more as an Olympic athlete would, as an athlete would. Yeah. That this process of cultivating a way of being that makes your results inevitable, it, the cultivation is like a, is a physical training, right. actually. Right, yes. And we underestimate that. We think, um, I know it and I'm smart, therefore, and it hasn't changed my life, right. therefore, it must not work. I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> right. No. It's no. like we're so steeped in the doing, but we it's it's sort of a new way to think about things that like you do, it's not just doing things, you have to be yes. a way, certain way as well. And I think that's a muscle that we have, you know, need to yeah. develop more. Yeah, and and exactly, and that's the protocol. Like yeah. You need, and how do you develop a muscle? Yeah. But by attention and like attention and like with you as you would, you know, to any sort of like physical application, attention to form, yeah. like my, micro attention, awareness and presence and repetition yeah. and practice and then feedback and then repetition and practice. Yeah. So really, it's like it's really fascinating to me how like full circle it is to like my early days as an athlete. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. I never thought about it in terms of sort of like that kind of training. Um, yeah. But that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's like I'm teaching, like working with, um, I love basketball. And so like teaching my kids, you know, a nice, beautiful jump shot and like working with my oldest. And, and it is uh, like you can get frustrated and shoot a thousand shots frustrated with yourself, or it's really an opportunity to practice pure presence. Yeah. Like, can you just be present with your experience without evaluating? Mm, yeah. And that doesn't mean you lose insight. It doesn't mean you aren't aware. It doesn't mean you don't adjust, but it is a different sort of intelligence and presence than we normally practice because almost we are just almost always taught that that um, awareness and evaluation and judgment are the same thing, right. but really, there is another there is another way you can be aware and present without analysis. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, well, I could talk about this stuff all day, but I don't want to keep you all day. <laughs> but I like to end with just if you were, and I know you kind of do, but looking at people who came from where we came from, from this very sort of analytical left brain place and are feeling that pull, what's sort of one initial piece of advice you would give them? To create even just a little bit of space to be with this other thing. Yeah. And nothing is too small even if you do something and it feels like a failed experiment, it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even just, you know, I found it a lifesaver and life-changing getting up earlier at that time and sitting with a candle and journaling. Um, the Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. Yep. Just these these small things are not small things that you make even the littlest opening and movement towards it and it will return it to you. Yeah, I, I think that's such great advice and it has been my experience of just opening a door a little bit and being surprised where, you know, it takes you. Because I think we so much want to have a whole roadmap and all of the hows and know the whole story in advance, but that's not really how it works. No, no. And I would say like, like, let yourself have the, the dream and just let yourself have the dream and the desire and be nurtured by it and use it for yourself and never against yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Great advice. So if people are curious to learn more about you, where can they find you? I 
Well, I have my website, which is www.leahcb, it's L-E-A-H-C-B.com, and I am on Instagram, and that is at leahcb1. I have a podcast called the Art School Podcast. Um, we have an Art School Facebook group, so all sorts of all sorts of places, and yeah. I do love connecting with people. Yeah, and so if you're out there feeling any sort of twinge of this is me, like go take advantage of these resources. That alone is a good, you know, micro step to opening these doors. Yes. Yeah. And small, small hinges swing big doors. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Leah. This has been such a pleasure to have this conversation. And, you know, for me, I love being around like-minded people. And also I love specifically hanging out with my lawyers who have have given themselves a space to sort of think differently. So this was a total pleasure. Oh, it's such an honor to be here. And I've loved talking with you. Thank you, Megan.